Welcome everyone to Discrypto. We've got an amazing show. We are going to talk all about how freeing the money can free the world. Uh, we're going to talk about the Fiat Ponzi system that's enslaved us and get into all the details. I'm very excited today to have uh, Evan who's joining the show. He's at, at the DeFi protocol on X. Him and I have been having some great conversations over on X and we thought we'd bring it live to the camera here. Uh, Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vanessa. I really appreciate it. Oh, by the way, awesome intro. I like the, uh, I like the tune. Thank you. No, that was that was a couple hours of work to try and figure it out because I was too cheap to pay someone else to do it. Uh, but I appreciate that. Uh, you know, one thing we always love to do here on, on the show is if you are live, just drop a hi in the chat. We, we'd love to know who's following along live. Uh, we do have it hooked up to X as well. So if you're on X and you're watching it on X, just reply and we'll get to see that reply as well. And as we go, you know, this is very much a dialogue. It's not just Evan and I having a conversation, but it's, you know, everyone else from the community. If you have questions or comments or thoughts about anything that we're talking about, uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is a place for all of us to, to get together and, um, you know, really as a space to grow our community. I uh, want to say hi already to South Padre Tony, who's popped in, uh, awesome uh, member of the Monero community um, and very loyal channel uh, watcher. Thank you so much. Uh, and Sokran as well. It's always great to have you here. I think it's been a, a second since uh, we've had you at the start of the show. So uh, I'm sure you'll have some interesting thoughts as we go. As we like to do when we get started, Evan, tell us a bit about your journey. How did you find this crazy world of crypto? Oh, I think it's probably about three years now. Um, you know, you hear... I'm 29, so you know you hear young people talk about cryptocurrency uh, on and off. Um, I remember the first time I heard about crypto was 2017, and I think this is when ASIC miners really started to take over Bitcoin. So you know you had people that were GPU mining, so they were building like these really powerful uh, GPU rigs. And I had a guy that I worked with uh, that was really big into building computers, and he was complaining about the price of um, the I think it was the 1080 Ti, like the graphics cards were going up, like they were skyrocketing back in 2017. And the, I heard the like the rumblings of Bitcoin, but I never really paid much attention and I regret it because I think it was only a couple hundred bucks back then and I would have been retired by now and not working a nine to five. Um, but I officially got into crypto late mid to late 2021 it was like the dogecoin craze and the um remember the gamestop stuff where they were trying to stick it to the wall street guys and uh so yeah, I, I got the in wall street guys ended up sticking it to them uh with their buddies in robin hood as well yeah well you know when you do illegal things and you have the money to go to court about it you know why not get away with it um and so but i i got in i immersed myself i think actually the first crypto ecosystem i got into was polygon Polygon was really easy and it was kind of up and coming. Uh, played around with DeFi, got caught up into all the Ponzi schemes, you know, all the all the DeFi protocol dApps of, of 2021, 2022. And, you know, you listen to every YouTuber and you end up getting rug pulled about three or four times. <laughs> and um, it led me down a rabbit hole of actually like researching more of like how not to get screwed over on my money. And um, and so I, I started researching Bitcoin more. So I kind of went back and started from the ground up. And uh, and then, of course, you know, we got rugged by Luna and then FTX and then Celsius. And, you know, and so it's been a long bear market. <laughs> and so <laughs> so here and I am. busy getting rugged by Grayscale and, you know, all the outflows from their uh, ETF as well. So it continues, but hopefully it's got an end inside. Yeah, it's uh, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Given the amount of liquidity that they've been dumping, it's been getting bought up pretty quick. And I expected Bitcoin to actually dump 
you know, I didn't have like the Capo approach. Like I didn't think it was going to go to 10, uh, but it, it hasn't dipped as far as I thought it was going to. So I'm, I'm actually quite impressed um, of how things are going. Yeah. So when, when you first, uh, you know, came into crypto, was it specifically about the, the opportunity to, to make money that drew you to it? Or was there something else that, that first got you involved? Um, I think the, I knew that I was in my mid twenties. Um, I had a little bit of extra money to play with and the 401k strategy was kind of boring. And, um, I, you know, just the technology, I've always been technologically inclined, not like coding wise, but I've always played around with, I mean, even when I was in middle school, I was playing around with emulators playing, you know, uh, Nintendo games on the computer. And so it was something that I could play with. And, um, I, I got, I came for the, I came for the, uh, came for the Lambo estate for the revolution, if that makes sense. Um, so it, when you get into it and you start doing the research, you start going down a rabbit hole and the rabbit hole never ends. And so, you know, you first learn what is crypto? Why does it work? How does it work? Okay. Why do they even create this stuff? And it's like, Oh wait, there's a cabal of fiat money printing uh, federalists. You know, like people at the Fed. You know, destroying our economy. So it all goes into like one large rabbit hole. So let's let's start going down that rabbit hole. You said you you, you know you, you came for the money, you stayed for the revolution. What is the revolution? Why is the revolution even important for us? Uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we have an hour and a half, so we've got some time to dig in. Um, where do you start with this one? What What is the revolution? Cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency separates money from the state. Okay. And so people talk about, you know, when you grow up, you hear people say separation of church and state, right? And, you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a very devout Christian, um, you know, and Christians used to like hate the, the term separation of church and state, but they never really, I never really heard anybody define it correctly. And it's like, what does this have to do with money? Oh, well, it, it's all interconnected. And so the separation of church and state was the ability for, you know, uh, there, there to be no uh, religious influence over the politics and vice versa. Because when you politicize a religion, you know, it, it's open for corruption, right? Well, money is very much the same way. And so if you politicize the money or the state's in bed, the state's in bed and controls the money, they control the people. Because, you know, whoever tells you that they don't care about money is lying. You know, you have to have money to pay your bills. You have to have money uh, to, you know, uh, take care of your family, to eat, uh, to, you know, get a pet or a love. You know, it, all of those things you need money for. You know, money is just economic energy. It, it's how you uh, it's how you transact in the world. And so um, Bitcoin particularly uh, separates money from the state by allowing uh, – there to be no centralized control over the money. And that hasn't, to my knowledge, throughout history, that hasn't been done before, uh, at least to this scale, uh, if that if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you, you talked a bit about the corrupting influence. I'm, I'm curious if you have some thoughts, you know, from the perspective of church and state and how that's corrupted and how you see some parallels between uh, money co corrupting uh, and being corrupted by the state. Yeah. Um, and you're, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but doesn't it say in the Constitution that, that Congress shall not create an established religion? 
you know, where, where they don't enforce a, a certain religious ideology on the people. I mean, if you, we look at the example of communism, I mean, communism is just a, is just an enforced religion on, you know, it's, it's the worship of the state. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the corruption lies with when you have unchecked power, uh, you know, when you have unchecked power, you know, people are, are, are left to their own devices with no accountability at all. And so, you know, they, they run amok, right? You know, even even if you look at a, uh, a you know somebody that maybe runs a company or a an organization, they uh, you know they may they may start off with good intentions, but they uh, you know if, if they don't have any accountability or anybody you know keeping them in check, you know, and not everybody, not every idea that you or I have is going to be a good idea, right? Um, and so, a lot of times they surround themselves by an echo chamber, and then they start reinforcing their own ideas. Uh, and then anybody who speaks out against them is, uh, you know, is is the enemy. Uh, and then I'm just going to use my power to silence you. Right. And and people say, well, that's just a, that's just a slippery slope. It's like, well, if I look at history, it happens all the time. And so, you know, the influence of money is very much the same way. If I, the United States, have access to the money printer and I can just print unlimited money, who's keeping me in check? Right. It's obviously not the free market. I don't know if that does that answer does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting as you talk about kind of people getting power or positional status and then pushing other people out. You see this in the crypto space too. You've got you know the Bitcoin maxis who don't want Ethereum to be a thing because it's polluted in some way, and then you see Ethereum mm -hmm. maxis who don't want Solana to be a thing, and so it feels like we're very tribalistic um, uh, with, with with some of these. And you know, I've seen a lot of Bitcoin folks. Uh, almost treat Bitcoin like a religion as well. And I don't know if you have any comments on that and how it relates to, uh, you know, you mentioned your faith, you're, you're a Christian, how the Bitcoin religion relates to that and how you uh, perceive a lot of the folks in the community essentially worshiping Bitcoin. I'm going to get a little deep. And, and these are these are my my views. So uh, particularly as a, as a Christian, um, we believe that men and women are created in the image of the divine. Right. And so, you know, we're just a soul with a shell. Um, and so we were created to worship God or worship something. If you, you know, no matter, no matter who the person is, they worship something in their life. It's, you know, it's the central figure of their life in some way or another, whether it's money or their family or their relationships or their job or God, um, you know, and and some, if somebody tells you that they're not worshiping something, you know, they need to they need to uh, inspect their heart a little bit deeper because, you know, even the even those who proclaim to not believe in a God at all, you know, they either worship the self or they worship the, the, the science or whatever it is. Um, and for some people, it's the government. Um, Bitcoin maxis fall into um, not all maxis. I don't want to group all the maxis together because there are a lot of really, really smart, intelligent uh, you know, deep thinking people in the crypto space, like, you know, you got your Robert Breloves, you have your Michael Saylors, and then you have some of your more fervous, or I don't know if the word, the people with fervor, like they're, they're zealots. Um, and so when you, uh, when you idolize something, you're opening yourself up to the ability to worship the idol, right? Like we use mm -hmm. the, uh, the example of like, uh, you know, the golden calf in, uh, in, uh, in the old Testament. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Yeah, Moses well, left. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. you're going to tell a story. I was saying for folks who aren't familiar, if you could share a little bit with him. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so Moses, Moses led the Israelites out of, out of uh, Exodus. 
and uh, you know, and, uh, no, in Exodus, he led them out of the uh, the desert from uh, from Egypt. And uh, so Moses goes to meet with God on the mountain and he's gone for, you know, just a short period of time. I think it's like 30 or 40 days. And so Moses's brother is in charge and they they grow concerned that Moses isn't going to come back. So they create this. They get all the gold together. They melt it and they create this, you know, this idol, this statue, this golden calf. And they worship the golden calf. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the void, like it, it didn't take very long at all. And the void, you know, of something missing in their hearts was there. So they decided to worship the, uh, the object. And so, you know, the, 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 the same idea with some of the Bitcoin maxis is that they've, they've created an idol out of, out of the money. And they may be right in, in their analysis of it being solid, you know, foundational money. But if your message is repulsive to the people that you want to uh, evangelize, so to say, uh, then what good are you doing? Right. So so what they've done is they've reinforced their ideas and they've created everybody else as an enemy. Uh, and, the, and what they're doing is that if you're not one of us, one of us, then you get you get cast out. And so what they're doing is they're actually being retroactive in their approach by 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 creating such a repulsive message uh that you know that's making the barrier to entry for other people more difficult so they're they're basically shooting themselves in the foot uh in a sense yeah i could definitely see that i mean we've even got um south padre tony here who's perhaps disagreeing with your your sentiment on michael saley saying sale is a clown he was the guy saying mortgage your house and buy more bitcoin uh, what do you think of folks who perhaps don't like Michael Saylor? I know he's a very controversial <laughs> figure. <laughs> and, and why do you think that is such a uh, he is so divisive? Uh, he's uh, the your your commenter's right. Um, you know he he said some really stupid things. He's he's got he's got a lot of a fervor and zealot for Bitcoin too. Uh, you know his what I, I guess particular like specifically his views on economics are really good. You know, he's, he's really intelligent when it comes to economics, you know, like how the system works, how the money system works, you know, why Bitcoin is a superior asset. Like, I agree with him on all those things, but like his, you know, Michael, uh, I don't know. There's a there's a guy that I listen to every single morning on YouTube called The Modern Investor, and uh, and he's great. I love him. He's like, he's snarky, sarcastic. Uh, he's just, uh, he's fun to listen to. And, um, you know, he, he talks about like hyper rich people that they get so rich to a point where they kind of become disconnected with like the average person. And, and so, you know, I think that Michael Saylor doesn't get, uh, you know, I think that he's kind of disconnected from, you know, how, how living conditions are for the average person. And so, you know, it's not easy to mortgage your house to buy Bitcoin. So you got to still have a place to live, dude. You know, so like, you, yeah, you're like, I'm not going to disagree with your commentaries, right? I, I don't think he, he's a clown in some of the things that he says, but I kind of chew the meat, spit the bones, you know? And so, you know, I, I take, I take the, the parts that are good and I throw out the parts that are uh, not worth listening to. And I think you should do that with everybody, right? You know, not everything I say is going to be 100% correct and insane for you and same for your listeners, right? Wait, so, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait. I, I forgot. I'm sorry. Oh, we're all perfect. We're just we're, we're just walking. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Freudian slip. Yeah, but I think that's actually a, a good point. Like all of these leaders in crypto, and there's a lot of really smart folks, like we, 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 we tend to put them on a pedestal, not realizing that they're still human and they have really smart things they say and really dumb things they say. And this is sort of a complex creation of all of them. Um, mm -hmm. Before the show, you, you, were, you were passionate about talking about the Fiat Ponzi and how you know, it really enslaves us. Walk us through like, how does the Fiat Ponzi enslave us and, and, and kind of keep us from being free? God, that's a, that's a difficult question to answer in a couple of sentences. Um, can you, I'm sorry, can you, 
And no, I think part I, I, of the reason it's so difficult to, to answer is because mm -hmm. if it was easy to answer, we would all see it and we would all want to be free. <laughs> and so I, I think, uh, you know, the, the Fiat Ponzi has multiple strands and perhaps like whichever yes. strand you want to pick up and, and, and talk about uh, and, and maybe provide some uh, some light on it for the audience. Okay. And, and I'll clarify for the audience. I'm not just bullish on just Bitcoin. I love Monero. I love, you know, altcoins. I think that there's a place for a lot of innovation. But I use Bitcoin because it's the easiest example. So when I started studying, you know, when I read the Bitcoin standard by Saif Dina Moose, and then I started listening to Breed Love, and then I started listening to, well, actually, you know, it all starts with like Dave Ramsey, right? You know, it's like get out of debt because the borrower is slave to the lender. That, that, that's kind of like the gateway drug, even though, you know, Dave's like old guy that yells at the clouds um, sometimes. Um, when you get into crypto and you start studying what sound money looks like, the hardest part about getting into crypto or accepting Bitcoin is not understanding the technology or um, or, you know, trying to understand how the blockchain works. The hardest part is unwinding years and years of lies that your brain has been told. Um, you know, you have to you basically it, it, it's a it's a paradigm shift. It's a culture shock. It's like moving to another country uh, with no knowledge of how the culture works. So you have to unwind everything that you've ever been taught and you have to relearn it from the ground up. So like, how does the Fiat Ponzi scheme keep us enslaved? Okay, so the American dream is this. Go to college, get a good job, uh, make $50,000 a year, get married, buy, a, you know, get a picket, you know, build a picket fence, get a nice house, work 40 or 50 years, then retire, you know, on a pension. Well, all of that's a lie. Um, if I work, let's say I, let's say I save, $10,000 and I sit on my money for five or 10 years, is the purchasing power of my $10,000 going to be more or less in five or 10 years? And if, if you say more, you're a fool. Um, what, now, what let, let's unpack that because uh, you could say, mm -hmm. well, the stock market's returned eight to 10 percent on, on average. Um, inflation's been, you know, two to three percent on average. Uh, surely it's worth more. Like, where's the lie in that? Um, oh, I'd say that the CPI numbers, you know, of course, I'm not an economic expert. I'm just a random guy from Mississippi that loves crypto and just happens to have a small amount of knowledge listening to really smart people such as yourself. Um, you know, this, I, I know that I know that the CPI is just a basket of goods that's cherry picked to make the inflation rate look like uh, to, to make it look like, you know, uh, an arbitrary amount. Right. They want to keep it in like two or three percent. It's like. Who, who determined that 2% or 3% growth is, is natural anyway? Is, that, is it because the, the inflation rate of gold has traditionally been 1.5 or 2%? It's like, well, you know, the supply of gold eventually runs out unless you want to start mining on asteroids or under the ocean, even though we don't know how much is out there. So it's like, who determined that? And so, you know, you, you grow up, you grow up with this lie of like, okay, inflation is just normal, right? And then you ask somebody to, you ask a normal person, and, and I didn't know this, and I fell for this too. It's like, you ask somebody, what is inflation? It's like, oh, it's prices at the supermarket are going up. It's like, no, oh, let's unpack that. Why are prices going up? And it's like, okay, let's take a, let's take a loaf of bread like you know, five or 10 years ago. Let's say it was a dollar. Today, a loaf of bread's like $1.52. Okay, well, is the loaf of bread 50% or two times better than it was 10 years ago? Is the manufacturing process any different than it was five or 10 years ago? And the answer is no. 
And so why is the price, you know, why is the why is the price not reflected in the manufacturing process? And the answer is, is because the currency has been devalued compared to where it was five or 10 years ago. So it takes more of the currency to buy the same product. The product hasn't changed. The, the purchasing power of the currency has dropped. And people don't realize this. And if they can study that, then they start looking at, okay, well, why is the purchasing power dropping? It's like, you know, how people talk about a flat tax, like a flat tax would be more fair. Um, Inflation is just a flat tax. It, it, it siphons off economic energy from everybody at the same rate so that the government can front run what they're doing when they print money or the Fed make, you know, the Fed prints money and then they write the government a blank check. They get to front run the purchasing power and then the people in the economy feel the aftermath a year or two later down the road. It's like moving a giant battleship, right? You don't see it move direction instantly. You know, it takes a while for that giant economy to move in that direction so they can basically front run the liquidity and buy what they want in the short term. And then all the people holding the bags at the bottom, so to say, suffer from it. And all it does is separate the gap between the people who know how to make money and the people who are left poor. Um, we've seen that over the last few years absolutely perfectly. Everyone got $2,000 um, and, you know, prices doubled for gas and for groceries and for everything else. Um, but they didn't double right away, right? It took a little bit of time. There was the euphoria. The stock market was great. Everyone was happy. Um, and then reality set in, right? The battleship had turned. Right. In you know, you know, economies are complex and they're large, you know, and the people who know how to make money, the people who already have assets are going to be the ones that are going to be well off. You know, it, it's like think about capital gains tax, for example. Um, you know, and I know we're going down so many rabbit holes. I'm sorry I'm, you know, talking so much, but <laughs> it's just I'm so passionate. This is why we have you on the show, Evan. So please, like, uh, you know, yeah. go as deep as you need to go on any of these. Um, well, think about capital. Think about short term capital gains versus long term or think about working overtime. Right. OK, so I used to be a diesel mechanic. I taught myself how to be a diesel mechanic. If I worked overtime at an hourly job, like let's say, you know, past 40 hours, you make time and a half, right? By law. So when I make time and a half, the government taxes me more. You know, uh, you know, when I go, when I move into like a certain tax bracket, I get punished for working harder, right? If you wanted to encourage economic growth, you would lower taxes the harder somebody works. Okay. Well, in the same way, like capital gains tax, if I make short-term trades and I'm really good at trading, I have to pay more in taxes. Uh, or, you know, if I, if I work really hard to obtain assets and I sell them, I have to pay capital gains tax. Uh, and, and I'm not opposed to paying taxes. You know, I think that things that the economy have to run, I'm, I'm opposed to frivolous government spending and, and not being good stewards with the money that they take from me by the force of the gun, by the way. Um, you know, th they, they punish you. You know, why should why should I why should I be punished for taking the risk? I make the money. I'm already taxed on the money. I'm taking my post tax money and putting it into investments. Uh, and I'm assuming all the risk with, with, with no promise of return at all. It could go to zero. We don't know. And then when I do make money, then the government wants a cut of that as well. So they're, they're taking money that was already taxed initially. I took all the risk and it's like they lived at my house for free and freeloaded on 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 my work. Um, you know, again, you know, there may be people I can't see the comment section. There may be people that disagree with taxes. And I think that taxes are necessary for a functioning society. Um, but but it's excess to the point where, um, you know, people who work really hard are punished while people who don't work hard are not. 
Um, and so as that wealth gap continues to divide, as the government continues to print more money, it becomes more difficult for the average man to move into another bracket. And so it, it, is, a, it is a case of the rich get richer and the poor get poor. It's not because of greedy rich people. It's because of greedy government bureaucrats. You know, the free market does what the free market does. Yeah, and I think that, um, that's perhaps another lie that's under underlying it all is uh, we were taught, at least I was taught kind of growing up, that it's it's fair for people who have more to pay more. Um, but the system isn't set up in, in that way. It's set up so the people who have more to create, who do more for society, are also the ones that are paying more. Uh, and so it sort of feels like exactly what you're saying. We're discouraging that productive activity. You know, like why why punish a man for working harder and making more money? Like I hear this people all the time. And when I was when I was like in my late teens, early twenties, I used to think this way too. Where it's like, you know, CEOs shouldn't make this much money, CEOs shouldn't get paid this much. It's like, why? Why not? Their decisions affect the entire payroll of the company. If they make one stupid decision, the, the company could go bust. You know, yeah, you, we're seeing the, that right now with Elon, right? You know, he took uh, Tesla. Mm -hmm from where it was $18 and he 10X the stock. Yeah, he's got crazy amounts of money in that pay package. And now they're trying to deny him that pay package. I mean, do you have thoughts on, on that as it relates to the, the conversation about the rich getting taxed more? Uh, I'm not, I, I've only glanced at the story. I, I believe it was what uh, his, you know, the, the in Delaware. Uh, I, I, I haven't read the story enough to be uh well informed on it, but I know that he's been a target for a while. Uh, um, I know that Elon in previous years has paid more in taxes than every uh, than every president's pay combined throughout the history of the United States in one year. Um, so, and anybody who says that Elon Musk doesn't work hard is is being foolish. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that they're being genuine when they say it. Um, I, I don't I haven't I haven't researched it enough to make a, a comment completely, but I, I do know that he's been targeted in the past and I, I don't think that it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I guess saying you don't know when, when you don't know all the details, uh, you know, often we like to make up stuff based on a headline. And so I appreciate that. I want to say hi to Toto. Welcome to the channel. Appreciate the kind words. Um, this, is a, this is a good place to engage. You know, if you have questions or comments on anything we're talking about, please drop them below as well. We're, we're always happy to chat. Um, what other lies has society told us? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> We've got South, South Padre Tony saying rabbit holes are good, so we're going to keep digging. <laughs> uh, what lies? Okay, let's think about the school system, for example. So my, uh, I mean, I don't mind doxing myself, but I'll, I'll make vague comments about my family. My, my father works in education. And, you know, the school system hasn't changed in the last hundred years. School, the school system was designed to create factory workers. OK, you know, the, uh, they were designed to, you know, for you to go to about the eighth grade and then you got a job working in a factory like, you know, the assembly line that Henry Ford created. Now, this is the way the school structure was set up. And so schools are schools are, are taught. That they, they don't they don't teach critical thinking and they, they don't adhere to people who have different learning styles. So you can be labeled. You can be labeled as a. Uh, I mean, you can be labeled basically almost as mentally disabled because you think differently. I mean, you know, like think about what schools are doing to young boys. Right. They're sedating them. You know, they'd rather put them on, uh, you know, drugs that sedate their hyperactivity. It's like they're little boys. Of course, they're going to be hyperactive. Like little girls do what they're told. Little boys pick their boogers and jump on stuff. It's like, I mean, that's so obvious. 
uh, you know, like, and, and, and what schools do is they, 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 they turn you into robots. Uh, they want you to just repeat. You know, they teach you stuff long enough to regurgitate a test, and then they get funding based on school attendance. Uh, and then the test scores are, are the, the, you know, the level of the school is measured on the test scores. Uh, and, and then you don't, remer- you don't remember anything when you get out of school. And then you have to, you know, um, like it, it, critical thinking is not taught. I'm not saying that you don't learn anything in school, but, how, uh, you know, when was the last time you heard of school teaching you uh, how to invest, how to do your taxes, uh, how to fill out job applications, how to do interviews? I mean, there's a lot of schools that don't teach this stuff. Um, you know, you're not taught anything how to function in the real world. How, like, here's here's one. How do you start a business? Um, you, you know what happened? You know, you know that one kid? That would always buy buy candy bags at the candy store, and he would try to sell them on the playground for like a dollar a piece. Uh, you know, he was like making money, and then he would get in trouble with the school because he was selling candy. Because no, the school's supposed to sell candy, not the kid. He's like he was a little entrepreneur. He was buying less and selling more. Like, why are we punishing a kid for being creative? Like, he was a little entrepreneur. He's making money. Like, that's a little beast right there. He's gonna he's gonna go out to do great things. But no, what we do is we we literally stomp. All the creativity out of them until they're little droids. That's what they did with me. I, I was hyperactive as a kid. I still have high energy. My high energy could have been something used towards something productive, but my parents were told that there was something wrong with me. You know, uh, it, it, there's so many different lies. That's just the school system. Yeah, um, we've got uh, Sukarans uh, jumping on and saying he can confirm, right? You know, this this came in as you were talking about all the things happening in the school system. Uh, we've also got Aru here. What's up? Welcome. Uh, yes, please do hit the likes. Um, this definitely helps uh, when you like and share. Uh, helps bring people into the stream. Um, so yeah, I mean, for for me, my experience of the school system was different, right? I, I had the the benefit of doing all the right things, you know, listening to the teachers, getting the good grades. And it kind of worked out for me, but but also mm-hmm. that was me, right? That wasn't you. Um, that wasn't someone else. Sure. Um, and every individual case is different, but on a on a broad like they have a broad scale of like, um, you know, learning can only be done this way. Um, when is the last time school? You know, they have vocational classes. I know, but like, I, I didn't learn any essential life skills. Um, you know, as and and and, and of course, you know, Vanessa, I'm speaking from the uh, I'm speaking from the perspective of you know of a of a man too. It's different for for men and women too. You know, we're if if men aren't creating things, they're destroying things. We have to focus our energy somewhere. And, you know, and I'm speaking from the, the the perspective of a traditional man. You know, because it's sorely lacking in our society. Um, you know, and it, it, like I said, if men are not building or creating things or lifting people up, they will destroy things. That term and idle, you know, idle hands or devil's workshop is very true. Yeah. Um, and we see what happens in society when people get bored. They do stupid things. Um, you know, they, they uh, sorry, somebody sent me a message up, up at the little top there. Um, you know, people, people do stupid things when they get bored. They start creating imaginary enemies to fight, you know, because they, they don't have anything better to do. It's like the, you know, uh, well, that's a different story, but we, we may talk about that at some point. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just love the idea that um, there are so many different aspects to what you need to learn in life, right? And, and you, and, you and I here are talking about, uh, you know, fiat money and how that affects the system. And like none of that's that's taught in, in schools. And so you have to kind of come to it and discover it. Um, you know, for, for, for folks who perhaps haven't heard of crypto, don't know any of this, like where do they start? I would say um, the I would say that you know uh, the Bitcoin standard would be 
a really good book to start with because even if you don't like cryptocurrency, the first half of the book isn't even about Bitcoin at all. Um, you know, it's 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 about the history of money and how money works and how the history of inflation works. Um, you know, they it goes over everything from like the you know the giant stones to uh, to the glass beads that they used uh, and you know and how or or you know money clipping in ancient Rome. Uh, you know how they they kept you know resizing and re you know redoing uh, the amount of precious metal that was in the uh, in the coins. Um, understand? I think having a firm found a firm foundation of how what is money. Like people really need to understand what is money, um, and why you know like what kind of problems are cryptocurrency trying to solve, right? And then you can get into like you know maybe the DeFi ecosystem or like different different types of ecosystems after that. I think that the, the fundamental understanding of crypto needs to start with like the foundation of like what is money and what is sound money. Um, I think that's a good place to start. We've got a great comment here from Aru who's saying, Satoshi would have wanted us to keep developing and creating better and better blockchains. Um, and so this leads me to the question, you know, which ecosystems are you in? Which blockchains are you involved in? And, and how do you see some of these providing something that's different and valuable to Bitcoin? Or do you see Bitcoin as kind of the primary? Um, I'm in so many different, uh, I'm in, uh, yours truly Kujira, um, so, you know, Celestia injective, uh, don't really mess with Ethereum too much, uh, or Solana, uh, I'm mostly in the cosmos ecosystems. I really like cosmos. Um, you know, say been checking out, say been doing some research on say, um, even, even some of the lower caps, like, you know, joy stream, um, you know, a lot of the gaming aspects, um, you know, some of the decentralized stores like Arweave or, um, you know, Filecoin. Um, but as far as Bitcoin goes, you know, I think that the reason why, I mean, well, the, the reason why I'm investing in the other ecosystems is for the multipliers, right? You know, you, you know, I, I, and there's some technology that I think will stick around, um, but we're, we're in crypto for the gains, right? You know, the goal is to invest in the altcoins that do the higher multipliers and then you just roll it into Bitcoin. Because you know Bitcoin's Bitcoin's around to stay, and I, I think that Bitcoin has become sufficiently decentralized to the point where I don't think it's going anywhere, and I think that it it is the ultimate store of value. Um, I think that there's other blockchains that'll come out that may be really good payment rails or really good scaling solutions. Uh, I have yet to see a um, a good scaling solution for Bitcoin that allows it to be used as peer to peer cash, and I think that you know. You know, you see people say, well, Satoshi wanted Bitcoin to be peer to peer cash. Right. And then they say it's not supposed to be a store of value. It's like kind of, you know, Bitcoin is freedom money. You know, it, it's it's ultimate freedom money. So it should be used how the market wants to use it. You know, anybody can use Bitcoin. If, they, if you want to do ordinals, if you want to use it as electronic cash, if you want to use it to store of value, it, you know, it, it's it's open to all of those things. And so it's like it's it's all and um, so, you know, if Bitcoin morphs into a store of value where you move your money and then you borrow against it later or whatever you want to do with it, you know, I think that's fine. I think that like the gentleman said in the comment a second ago, you know, I think Satoshi wanted us to keep developing. It's like, yeah, Satoshi was a developer. He wanted to change the world. Um, so um, does that, does that answer your question? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, I think one, one of the things that you're pointing to is that, you know, ultimately if you want to separate money from state, you need a tool to do that. And Bitcoin right now is that, at least in your perspective, the superior tool um, to some of these other chains, which ha might have something going for it, uh, but they're more uh, ephemeral 
perhaps than, than Bitcoin mm -hmm. has shown to be. Uh, one thing we, we talked about before the show was this notion of privacy. How does privacy fit into like the, the whole world of freeing yourself from state control? Um, I think one of the biggest psyops, you know, talk about lies of the system. One of the biggest psyops is, you know, um, your privacy doesn't matter. Or if you have something to hide, you must be guilty. Or, um, you know, you walk around as though you don't have anything to hide. So the government can just peek in whenever uh, you should feel guilty about wanting privacy. How does privacy, how does privacy play into it? Um, it? It's very simple. Whatever I do is none of your damn business. Uh, it's very simple. You know, if I decide to tell you, then I'll tell you. But whatever I do, I mean, obviously, you know, if I'm not doing something, you know, just egregiously horrible, like murder or, you know, or something, you know, just egregiously terrible, you know, whatever I do with my money or my property or my family or my love life or whatever is none of your damn business. It's none of the government's business either. Um, how does How does blockchain privacy fit into that? It's my money. I can do what I want with it, you know. Um, the problem is when you give somebody power, you give up your freedoms, you never get them back. And have you ever, let me use an analogy. If you got a school bully that maybe starts off teasing you a little bit and you let him keep going, you let him keep going. Does he ever stop? And the answer is no. And it's like, why? Because his power is unchecked. So, you know, um, you know, and you, you just keep, you, you know, you just keep, uh, backing away. And then, you know, the next day they, they push harder, they push harder, they push harder until they get to physical. You know, it's, it's like abusive relationships, too. If you don't set boundaries in your relationship or leave that relationship, doesn't it always get worse when you're in an abusive relationship? The answer is yes. And so people with unchecked power continue to push the boundaries because they can. And so usually the bully doesn't stop until you punch him in the face or, you know, or something of the like, or at least make it very difficult for him to mess with you or, you know, what, whatever, whatever avenue you want to go down to deter him from bothering you, whether that's avoiding or fighting, whatever, you know, uh, the, the, the end result is the same. If you check their power, predator, the only thing that predators respond to effectively is power. You can't reason with predators, right? And so if people have a position of power, it's like, oh, you should just trust us because we have your best interest at heart. When has that ever worked out in the history of mankind? Um, who are you? Is it who the hell are you to tell me what I should do with my life? You have an, you have enough uh, you have enough food on your plate to deal with your own life. Who are you to tell me how I should live my life and what I should do with my freedoms? Um, and that's a very libertarian esque approach to it, but it's true. Uh, and if you give up your privacy, you don't get it back. It's like, oh, please, will you? Can I please have it back? It's like, what are they going to tell you? No. Oh, you know, what about the label you as a terrorist? They're already doing it, right? Look at look look at Edward Snowden, for example. He couldn't stomach it. He he had to come out as a whistleblower. It's, it's egregious. Now, now, how do you respond to people who say, "Well, I mean, there are security concerns, right? We we had nine eleven that happened. Uh, there are you know terrorists around us who who hate us for various different reasons. So surely, mm -hmm. surely, um, you can sacrifice just a, a little bit of your privacy, a little bit of your freedoms for a little bit more security." I would say, well, nine eleven specifically. If we if we boil things down to their nth degree, you know, I we're, we're looking for causations, right? You know, that 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 goes down a whole different conversation of like conspiracies. Um, yeah, please don't get my YouTube channel demonetized. 
Yeah, <laughs> I try not to do that. I would like you. I'd like for you to make money off this video. Um, I'll say I'll say it like this. I understand that there's a fine balance, um, you know, to be had, uh, you know, and, and the government's, you know, the government's job is to protect property, life, liberty and property. Right. You know, th th that's what governments are for. They work for us. Um, I will say this and I'll, I'll use crypto as an example. People talk about regulation in the space. Right. Uh, you know, we need to stop the scammers. We need to stop the Ponzi schemes. Like, first of all, how's that enforceable? Second of all, the the price that you pay for ultimate free market is that bad actors have the choice to, um, you know, do what they do in the market as well. And so, you know, if you if you err on the side of maximum freedom, you can't stop other individuals from doing bad things. It's like um, it's like the Garden of Eden argument, right? It's like. God gave us free will. Well, like, why did why did God put the knowledge of the you know the the the, the tree and the you know of knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Um, you know, if He knew they were going to rebel, it's like, you know, the, the price you pay for ultimate freedom is you also have the ability to rebel if you want to. You know, that's that's it's the same thing with love. Um, so in a free market or in a in, you know even in a like a you know in a society where we live, you know, I think that the the better answer instead of sacrificing your freedoms to let somebody else protect you i think that the better answer is to take personal responsibility create good communities create good social fabric um you know be wary uh be wary of where you invest your money time and relationships and uh into harbor a a a a society that stands up for itself i think would be a better thing than asking for big daddy government to protect you i don't yeah. know if that yeah i mean it's interesting because um freedom itself almost by definition, is freedom for bad things to happen, freedom for bad people to do bad things. Um, and the, the more you protect against those things happening, the more you give the power for someone who is ultimately powerful to do bad things. Um, since you, you more, you've almost shifted the power dynamic from some people with very little power could do bad things to someone who has accumulated all the power, in this case, the government, can do some very, very terribly bad things. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting trade-off. Um, as we as we talk about privacy, what are your thoughts on Monero? Um, you know, and I talk about it a lot on this channel. I know we have a, you know, a lot of folks from the Monero community who watch this. Uh, what are your thoughts on Monero in, in terms of the problem it solves, but also then in terms of comparison to Bitcoin? That's a loaded question. You already know what I think about Monero. <laughs> I love Monero. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, you get the Monero, the Bitcoin guys that fight on X all the time, right? <laughs> you know? Like they fight like, you know, uh, we need we need privacy. Uh, we need we need privacy. Uh, you know, we need we need open ledger. You know, we need a hard cap supply. We need tail emissions. Right. You know, so we get these we get these guys fighting on Twitter all the time. Um, I, I'll, I'll name drop because I, I love I love his content, but I'll give him some feedback too. like I, I follow Chris Black on uh on x and he's awesome like he he brings a lot of he brings a lot of uh complaints about like some of the you know potential issues that bitcoin has but i i, I give him a hard time and I'll, I'll comment on his stuff sometimes i'll say chris you know you complain about some of these issues but what are the solutions that like, you're always pointing the issues out but like give us some solutions for bitcoin so here's the solution the difference between monero and bitcoin they're both necessary is the answer. And the reason why is because Monero is the complete shadow opposite of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a hard cap supply. Monero has tail emissions. It has no max supply. Bitcoin is an open public ledger. Monero is completely private. Okay. 
you know, they're both proof of work. One, run, one runs off of ASIC mining, like GPU ASIC mining, and uh, the other runs off of CPU power and it's ASIC resistant. You know, one's SHA-256, one's random X. Okay, so they're complete polar opposites. And people would say, well, you know, I, I prefer this one over the other. It's like the market needs both of them. So it's like, why? Okay, well, because the market is a, is a marketplace of ideas and these ideas need to compete. If one fails, then the other may do well or vice versa, or maybe they work together. It's good that they're not all doing the same thing. One of the complaints that I have about crypto is there's a whole bunch of damn layer ones out there that do the same exact thing as all the other layer ones. You know, and, and Bitcoin and Monero serve two totally different functions. It's like asking... It's like asking the difference between a car and a truck. It's like you have two totally different uses for both of them, and they work better in conjunction than they do apart. It's like, well, why would you want a public ledger? It's like, here's here's the reason why you would want a public ledger. Like, let's say we do go to a Bitcoin standard where we do price things in Satoshis. When you have an open ledger where all the actors have to play by the same rules, and I get to see where the money flows to and fro, or where my tax money goes, cent by cent, or I guess Satoshi by Satoshi in this example, now I can hold the people more accountable than I could previously under the fractional reserve lending banking system where I have no idea where the hell my money's at. Like, if I put my money in a bank right now, can you tell me where it's being used at? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Right? No. So Bitcoin works well as the hard sound uh, base layer that we need to build money upon. And Monero works well for the individual transactions where what I do with my money is none of your damn business. Um, and I think that both of them work very well for two totally different reasons. Bitcoin works better as a store of value than Monero. I don't think anybody would uh, uh, argue with that. Um, so I think that both are necessary and Monero does privacy very well. And I think it's something that everybody should learn to use. I think that's a fantastic response. Um, I'm going to pop what South Padre Tony says here, which is there are Bitcoin people who seem to think they have what Monero really is. So you'll have folks talking about how to be private with Bitcoin and, you know, the, the 17 different steps to ensure that your UTXOs are, are coin joined and mixed correctly in order to secure privacy. So I think that kind of muddies the water. What you said is very clear for me, which is, uh, you know, effectively save Bitcoin spend Monero, Bitcoin for governments, Monero for people, for privacy? Uh, my response to that would be, um, you, know, you know the meme of Michael Saylor where it's like, he goes, Bitcoin is the only option. It's the only option. You know, he's like, there is no second best. Bitcoin is the only option. You know, well, you should think that way in terms of privacy. Um, Bitcoin does not do privacy as well as Monero. Monero is the better option. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, I'm in the space, I'm in the space to converse with people that are actually willing to listen. I don't waste my time talking to Bitcoin maxis that don't want to listen. There's no, there's no use in talking to a brick wall. Um, you know, the brick wall doesn't listen. It doesn't talk back. Um, except Bitcoin maxis talk back, but you know, like if, if the audience is not willing to listen, then you go where you're heard. Um, so, you know, yeah, uh, the, the conversation ends with like, Hey, I'll agree with you that Bitcoin is sound money. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't agree with you that other blockchains are completely useless or unregistered securities or whatever. Um, and I guess that's where we'll have to end the conversation on them. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic approach. I, I want to pop this from uh, from X up here from Blue Horseshoe, uh, who's saying, um, I hate to say it, but the promise 
of blockchain to save us from the uber-powerful banking ruling class that has lorded us over, lorded over us for centuries is a pipe dream. I wish it weren't, but they control all the levels of power. Can you go to his profile real quick? Click, click on his profile. I want to see if he's talking about cryptocurrency. Let's see. Not to dox you, buddy. Uh, scroll down. Let's see. Is he talking favorably about crypto at all? He's got, I, oh, he's got the bad yeah, one. I don't, don't want to. <laughs> <random laughs> no, <guys sorry>. <laughs> so, but you know, I, I just want to. I, I hear this. I hear this argument a lot, and not to call you out, dude. Um, but uh, you know, it, I see a lot of people say that, and then they get into. They're still in the crypto ecosystem anyway. It's like if you really believe that, then why are you here? Uh, is what I'm getting at. Um, if you want me to respond to that real quick, um, I don't agree because if they would have killed Bitcoin, they would have done it by now. You know, the proof of work system, it's, it's different than proof of stake. Um, the Ethereum ETF really does scare me because of OFAC compliance and accumulation of the liquidity will mean that they can control the validator set because in proof of stake, you have to have a, a spread out stake of validators uh, to keep the network running. You know, that's why when you go to the Cosmos ecosystem and you see a, uh, a validator that's over leveraged, it'll, I, th I think it's on Kajira, it'll actually say, hey, this validator has a lot of voting power, consider another validator, um, you know, to give you a warning. Um, with proof of work, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, proof of work is hashed out by miners. I think it's estimated that it, you'd have to have like $500 billion of uh, of uh, of mining hash power in order to hijack the Bitcoin network. Um, and even if you did, and you got 51% of the hash power, the 49% that want to protect their bags can fork the chain. Um, and then the guy that bought up all the ASICs is now kind of, you know, uh, kind of left there standing playing a game by himself. Um, and, and they wasted $500 billion of liquidity just to do what? Try to chase after another fork? And then if you want to go a step further, we talk about Monero. Well, it's like Monero doesn't even use ASICs. And, you know, there I don't even know if there's a way to really calculate how many computers out there are using CPU power to actually, you know, use the Monero network. Like, it's it's completely different. Um, and even in the case of Bitcoin, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about mining pools. It's like, well, you can just always redirect your hash power elsewhere. When China's hash power dropped, people just, just spun up miners in Mongolia. Like it's an incredibly robust system. And you see people like Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, you know, that that absolutely hate crypto. If they would have killed it, they would have done it by now. Like I really firmly believe that. Like, because I mean, look at what they did you see what Ilhan Omar posted today about El Salvador? <laughs> I try not to listen to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so uh, they made a comment about El Salvador, uh, uh, their El Salvador's elections. It's like all it boils down to is if you're not part of the Fiat Ponzi scheme and you want to rip away, then we just send guns after you because the, the the Ponzi scheme runs off a proof of war. You know, we have to constantly keep wars going in order to rationalize printing money. If you don't want to play the game, then we just bomb you. We did it to Gaddafi, um, and so. If there's a system out there that rivals the power of, of the U.S. dollar or the fiat uh, Ponzi scheme, uh, you know, then they they go after it and kill it. Well, it's like Bitcoin's still around, you know, it, you know, it's still running and hashing out code just like it had 15 years ago. Um, I don't I don't see any evidence that that crypto is uh, is dying. Seems to be expanding to me. Yeah, I think that's a a fantastic point, and you know, especially. 
um, as crypto now seems to be giving a lot of concerns to, to certain people in power, uh, if they could have done something about it, they wouldn't be griping. They would just do it. They would just kill it or co-opt it or something. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a comment here by, by Sir Kronis uh, referring to the discussion we just had about um, you know why people like Harry saying, I think a lot of people in the crypto community have unfortunately been blinded by greed and sold themselves out. Uh, but the dream is still real. And, and I think there's enough people around here who have the dream that it's still persisting. I like this guy. <laughs> he, he's great. I had him on the show uh, a little while back. He's in the Cardano community, a lot of other communities. I, I really appreciate his thoughts here. Um, Toto's uh, saying, Vanessa, please help us plebs to not just play the speculation game. We need tutorials on mining XMR, perhaps setting values, <laughs> that sort of things. <laughs> You're saying I should leave my Kajira family for a second and do some different videos? Well, it's funny because I, I actually, I shot you a message because, I, I, you know, I've been in tune with your work for so long. Like when I saw your validator got spun up on Kujira, I was looking to stake my Kuji and that said technology port. I was like, wait, hold on. So I went to, I went to Twitter real quick and I was like, sent you a message. I was like, is this you? <laughs> you know, and you were like, good eyes, you know. Um, the guy the guy that commented uh, about um about you know greed and stuff like that it's like that's just the human condition <laughs> he said i like you too okay i need i need to have a conversation with this guy uh, on on twitter um so um you know, the greed is the human condition and and all of us have greed to a certain extent uh and you know it, it comes in cycles right you know sometimes you get greedy you lose your ass and then you have to come back and um um you know, you have to reevaluate your, you know, and assess your, uh, your situation. And so, you know, you, 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 you only become wise by playing the fool first. And so everybody has to start off greedy and a fool some way or another in order to become wise with their investments. Um, I know what he's saying about like all the meme coins and the meme boys and the moon boys and, uh, you know, all the, all the different rug pulls and DJ communities out there. Um, here's the thing. Here's the great thing about the free market. The free market does not reward bad actors for long periods of time. Um, a true free market does not reward bad actors for long periods of time. And what I mean by that is if you're an honest actor, more people want to do business with you. Um, and if you're a bad actor, eventually people catch on or communities catch on and liquidity moves elsewhere. Um, and so your greed will all I put it to you this way. Your greed will always catch up with you and manifest in different ways. You might be able to run off with a bag by rug pulling a community, but it's going to manifest somewhere in your investments or your personal life or your character later on. Um, and it's not going to fare well for you. So it never pays to be a dishonest actor in the market. I love that. And I think more crypto, more people in crypto should take that to heart. Um, it's very easy. I think when there's a lot of anonymous uh, interactions that we don't realize that there's actually people behind it that are being hurt when you take short-term selfish decisions like rugging a yes. community or, or, or doing some harm like that. Let's talk about the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ETFs. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin ETFs, uh, they launched, we thought it was going to change the world. The world hasn't changed, right? Bitcoin price is the same. Uh, they seem to be very popular, uh, but there, there is, it's a different instrument, right? It's not pure Bitcoin. It's not self-custody Bitcoin. Um, and there's the potential that it moves Bitcoin away from being this sound money that you can self-custody, that you could separate money from state. Do you think the, the ETFs are a good thing or a bad thing? And why? Uh, I want to answer that. And I'm actually going to interview you for a second on your own channel. I want to ask your opinion on it as well. <laughs> uh, 
just to be a fun guest. Um, is it good or bad for Bitcoin? I'm kind of neutral on it because Bitcoin is freedom money. It doesn't change the protocol at all. All it does is change the liquidity. Now, I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Pareto distribution or the Matthew principle, where it's like 80 to 90% of a group of people do 10 to 20% of the work, like the efficient work, or you know, 90, 10%, 90 of the women want the top 10% of the guys or vice versa, you know, the dating pool, or, you know, 90% of the wealth is concentrated with the top 10% of people like it is in the United States around the world. You know, it, all markets seem to, 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 to gravitate towards that anyway, when you want to talk about whales, it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you accumulate. It doesn't change. It doesn't change the protocol. And, and, and people like I'm, I'm talking specifically on that one. And I want to answer. I want to give an answer on something else about it, too. You know, people can't seem to get past this. It's like BlackRock's buying up Bitcoin. They're going to change Bitcoin. It's like, tell me you don't understand how markets work without telling me you don't understand how markets work. It's like if they buy up too much of it, they price themselves out of their own position because it's so scarce. You know, it's going to cost more and more and more. You can only suppress the price for so long before there's a price shock. But buying up Bitcoin does not change the functionality of the protocol. Same for Monero or any proof of work coin. That's why proof of work is so solid. If it's a proof of stake coin, it's a different conversation. Um, and, you know, and if they were buying up ASIC miners left and right, we could probably have a different conversation. You know, but they're not accumulating endless amounts of ASIC miners. They're an investment company. You know, and so... Even the U.S. government's not buying up ASIC miners. They're too busy trying to bomb Iran or wherever else now. Um, you know, so, you know, buying up Bitcoin does not change the protocol in any way. All it does is actually make it better for you who chose to actually self-custody your Bitcoin. Um, in terms of like people, I hear people talk about paperback Bitcoin where they can print more than it's actually in reserve. The only difference with that versus like what they did with gold and double spending gold, like issuing multiple notes against gold, is we had no idea who was custodying the gold or how much was in storage. With Bitcoin, you can look on the blockchain. And on top of that, the securities and exchange clowns, you know, Gary Gensler, the clown ringleader, has already made it very difficult to pass an ETF. He basically passed it against his own will, right? He came out, he, he made a post pitching a fit, you know, that basically said something along the lines of, you know, he still doesn't support the Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin or the purchasing of Bitcoin. So I have a hard time thinking that the SEC is not putting these companies under a microscope, watching everything that they do uh, and making sure that they don't do stuff like that, because then that gives them an excuse to, to issue another lawsuit. So I have a hard time thinking the SEC is going to let that fly, for one, because they're already hawkish as it is. Uh, and the last thing, you know, it we'll use the kids uh, we'll use the kids on the playground analogy again, and I, and I want to toss it to you and see what you think about the ETFs. Uh, if I got a kid, you know, this thing, everything in life is a game, and not 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 in terms of like manipulation, but some games you don't get to play unless you're all in, like marriage, right? Uh, and everything in the market is a game. It's just an adult scaled up version of a game that you'd play on a playground. It's all enterprise. If you got a bad actor, nobody wants to play with them. If you got a kid that says, hey, he gathers a group of people and says, let's play a game. I'm going to create the rules. Lays the rules and the foundation out. Okay, all the kids want to play. Well, if he changes the rules to suit him uh, and, and he's the, he keeps changing the rules, you know, mid game, they're playing a game of football and, you know, they, they call back. Penal, you know, they call penalties, call back scores or whatever he wants to do to make his team win or make him the, the, the sole winner of the game, then all the kids are not going to want to play with him anymore. They're going to go off and play another game, you know? And so that's like, that's how actors in the market work too. 
if, if somebody's buying up all the Bitcoin and they're pricing everybody else out of their positions to the point where they hold all of the liquidity, it, it, it effectively becomes worthless because everybody else is going to go play in a different ecosystem because, you know, they, 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 they no longer benefit from participating in the ecosystem. So it benefits the company to, to play as an honest actor in a sense where they may accumulate a lot of the liquidity, but you know, it's still, it's still there for everybody else to, to, uh, to act in the market as well. If they buy up all of it, not only can they potentially price themselves out of their own position as they continue to buy more of it. Um, but you know, it doesn't benefit them to be the only player of the game. It, it just doesn't. And, and from a market standpoint, um, and I want to toss it to you. What do you think about the ETFs? <laughs> I think it depends on how adversarial you think the world is going to get. Given the current level of adversarialness in the world, where generally we have, um, you, you know, a, a government of laws, you know, there's, there's places where it doesn't do that, but generally it respects laws. Uh, corporations can do business. Um, I think it's probably a net good for Bitcoin. It serves an, as an introduction for people who aren't familiar with it to get easy mm -hmm. access to it from the perspective of, um, store of value, being able to save their money in kind of a sound vehicle. Uh, and some percentage of those people will start down the rabbit hole and, you, you know, become folks who self-custody, who, uh, you know, perhaps they run a node or do something else for, for Bitcoin. And so I think from that perspective, it's a net, it's a net good. It will make the overall ecosystem uh, worth more as the price goes up, the economic security of mining increases. And um, so I think that's a net good. Where, where I think it's concerning a little bit to me is if we get to a situation where it is extremely adversarial and um, the government or some number of, of um, collectives together decide that they need to confiscate people's Bitcoin, uh, now having a lot of that Bitcoin locked in ETFs with effectively custodians who can be strong-armed by a, a hyper-adversarial government becomes a little bit more risky. And there's lots of paths they could go down, you know, not just confiscating the, the coins for the people who have them there, but potentially um, disrupting the value of the Bitcoin network. Uh, for example, if Black, uh, BlackRock were to decide to fork the Bitcoin network in some fashion, um, and which they can do, they can stand up their own set of miners and they can do their own thing and uh, make the uh, ETFs only redeemable for that. We'll call it, you know, Bitcoin Black is the, is the new coin. Uh, I don't know what would, would, would happen ultimately and how successful that would be, but I do know that would probably have a detrimental effect on the value and utility of Bitcoin within the system, at least over the short to medium term. Uh, so there's an attack vector there. I think it's unlikely. I give that maybe a 1% chance of, of, of coming true. Um, and so I think it's a net good. Um, if things get really dicey, I'm, I'm glad that we have Monero that's waiting for us. <laughs> Me too. I love Monero. Um, I'll never. I get. I get. I, I annoy people so much in spaces when I like some of these higher end influencers, and I talk about Monero, and they just like want to sweep it under the rug. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not foolish. I'm not foolish enough to ever discount the possibility of anything ever happening. And so, I always want to hear people out. And I, you know, I think that there are a lot of very intelligent people, like such as yourself and Chris, and other people in the ecosystem that know a lot more than I do. And so I never want to rule those out as possibilities. Um, and, you know, I, I, the reason I sound so sure of some of the things I'm talking about is not because of like, you know, I'm big headed and, you know, every answer I give is the right answer. It's more like I thought about this stuff over and over and over because like, let, let's let me put it into this perspective. If you were to ask me, 
Hey, what is the future? I'm, I'm 29. I don't have any children. I'm not married. The dating pool is absolutely horrendous for young men <laughs> in, in the United States and the Western world. So I don't have any future. But if I were to, if you, if I were to have kids or, or plan on having children or get married, if you were to say, Hey, what does the next 10 to 15 years, 20 years look like? Like, do you have an optimistic view of the future? The current trajectory of the way things are going, if crypto didn't exist, I would say it looks pretty bleak. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm not very optimistic about it. And I'm generally, a fair, you know, I'm generally fairly optimistic about things, but it gives me hope that an alternative money system exists that allows me to opt out. Um, you know, sometimes the best way to, sometimes the, sometimes you need to directly protest things and sometimes the better way is to opt out of the system. And, um, you know, by opting out, by not making a choice is sometimes the best way to make a choice. You know, you got a bad, you got a toxic relationship in a family and they're trying to stir up conversation all the time at the dinner table or at family gatherings or whatever. Sometimes opting out is the best choice rather than fighting them head on. And I think that having a decentralized ledger and, and a, and a, you know, an ecosystem where the dude, crypto's got some of the smartest minds I've ever seen. Um, look at, look at Casper, for example. I freaking love Casper. Um, I'm interviewing a guy Saturday on Casper. Um, the technology is incredible, and it, and and it looks like it may solve the trilemma issue that Vitalik talked about. Look at smart contracts. Look at the Cosmos ecosystem. Cosmos ecosystems interwoven, where you can do everything so seamlessly through osmosis. Um, as, you know, there's so many smart developers out there that are solving a lot of issues. Um, that you know they're trying to make. They're trying to make. Uh, if, if you if I could, can I go on another rant? <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> I bought I bought a car. I bought a car two weeks ago. I bought a car two weeks ago. I saved up cash. I bought like a little Honda Civic, a little stick shift. I'm you know love manuals. Um, you know how much of a pain in the ass. And I don't know if I'm cursing too much on your channel, so I apologize. You know how much of a pain in the butt it was for me to get the money to buy the car. It was ninety five hundred dollars. You know, we had snow. We had Martin Luther King holiday on, on that Monday. And then we had snow come through the south here in Memphis. So the roads were iced over. The bank was closed for a week and it was closed on the holiday. It was such a hassle for me to get my money out of my own bank, out of my own credit union, actually, because credit unions are actually a little bit easier to use in the bank. The ATMs have a, the ATMs have a withdrawal amount that you can't go over. You couldn't call anybody because there was nobody at the bank in order to answer the phone to raise the limit. Uh, the dude didn't take crypto. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's like I was it was like I was living in the Stone Age. It's like, um, you know, would, would, it's like, bro, would you like me to trade you two donkeys and a horse for the car? You know, like uh, you know, literally it was like I was living in the Stone Age. And so, you know, it was such a hassle to move money or to withdraw my own money out of the bank. It's like the guy in Lebanon that robbed the bank for his own money because they didn't have it or they wouldn't give it to him. Um, you know, so the system is so inefficient and corrupt. Um, and, you know, these people on these on these on these developer teams and these blockchains are doing incredible work. You know, I, I love I love the I love what these people are doing on Cosmos and Ethereum and Solana and all this stuff. Yeah, so Aru supporting me, saying he's uh, almost stopped receiving money in bank accounts unless from family members. I mean, yeah, it's like why would you want to go to the bank? And then when you want to withdraw a lot of money, they ask you what you're withdrawing it for. It's like let's go back to the conversation of none of your damn business. 
Um, I'm sure that'll hasten along the withdrawal. Yeah, it's like hold on real quick. So we're gonna call to the IRS real quick while uh, while I keep you there at the counter. Um, yeah, and and you mentioned Monero. Um, Monero is one of those like I move my money. You know, Monero doesn't serve just like for nefarious purposes. Monero also like blockchains are public and you have bad actors out there that want to hack your wallet or they want to keep track of your transactions or what exchanges you send your money to. Monero also protects you against bad actors, you know, just like private people also, not just governments. And Monero also makes a great like crap hits the fan. Everything goes to like worst possible case scenario. Monero is very useful. Um, Ella Monero. <laughs> Yeah, there was an example. I forget who it was. I think it might have been Doug on my channel. We were talking about, and he said, "Well, if you were spending Bitcoin, the cashier at the grocery store uh, will know how much Bitcoin you have, and maybe they'll place a call to their buddies, and their buddies will show up at, at your house a little bit later, and you know, extract their Bitcoin from you some way or the other." Uh, and so, you know, that's where privacy protects you from private people, not necessarily the government. Um, sure. Uh, we've got we've got Zuckerin saying I'll be shocked if Gary makes it through the year without getting fired. Uh, what's your over under on Gary Gary lasting the year? Um, I think that the the greatest amount of revenue that's been generated in crypto in the last year overall has been the circus show that the securities and exchange clowns <laughs> have been have have been putting on as far as their their circus. And their ringleader seems to be doing a really good job. I've noticed that he hasn't put a post up on Twitter since the approval of the ETFs. And if you follow my page on X, you'll notice every time he, I have his, I have like notifications specifically set for Gary Gensler. And I put that clown meme. I know you've seen it. <laughs> I put the, I, I put the clown meme. I put the clown meme where his eyes are a little set apart and his mouth's like wide open. Um, it, I, I put that every time he puts a comment and sometimes I'll spam it with like multiple clown memes. I don't think he's going to get, I don't think he's going to get removed until we get a new administration. Um, even though, you know, if he hasn't been removed by now, I don't think he's going anywhere, you know, and he's vehemently hated by like everybody. Congress doesn't like him. I've heard reports that the other people at the SEC don't like him. Hester Peirce doesn't like him. I mean, I don't even think Gary Gensler likes Gary Gensler. So, I mean, you know, yeah. nobody in crypto likes him. He's definitely not my, my favorite person. Um, but I, in my more uh, softer moments, I have some compassion for him <laughs> because I look at the Gary Gensler who was teaching, uh, I believe, at MIT, and some of the things he was saying, he was very thoughtful and rational and deliberate. And it feels like there's a different person now. And I wonder if that's him being a different person or if there's outside forces very powerful outside forces that have changed him. And so I have some compassion for where he's ended up, uh, unless he's really just this evil guy, but it doesn't seem like he's just this evil guy. It seems like something changed. I may have to disagree with you on your show on this one. I've, and I'm Go not ahead. saying that I know, I've never met the guy personally, but I've seen people like him. I've seen the, the squeevy, the squeevy, like those kind of people that just like claw their way to power. Um, and they'll do anything at any cost to undercut somebody just so that, you know, they can get the power that they want. And, you know, you see like, okay, let's use money as an example. You know, people say, 
Uh, the, you know, he said sold to sold. That's a good point. Uh, uh, money, you know, people say money changes you. No, it doesn't. All it does, money is just a tool. It just amplifies what's already in your heart. Well, power is the same way. Power is just going to amplify what's in your heart already. And if you don't have accountability or you, you go unchecked or uh, it goes back to that conversation we had earlier, you go unchecked, you don't have accountability, you don't have people that call you out on your nonsense because not every idea you have is going to be good. And, you know, you, you delve into madness and, and you become paranoid and, and you, you think that you're right and everybody else is wrong. The world's out to get you. You know, most people who have that mentality of the world's out to get you are typically out to get themselves. Yeah, or out to get other people, right? That's the lens they view the world from. Um, mm -hmm. Sukran's uh, sort of countering your thought on Gary and the SEC saying that he's racked up a couple losses so far uh, and he's making the, the current administration look bad. So maybe there's some election pressure for them to, to to get rid of him and clean house. Sure, and, you know, uh, I'll I'll put it I'll put it I'll I'll give you this. Do I think Gary's going anywhere until a, a new administration? No, but do I hope you're right? Yeah, absolutely. Because Gary is the demon, the the devil that you know, right? Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. You know, that's a good point too. Like, you know, you always get these power vacuums where, like. You know, you know how you go back, go back to the privacy conversation too. Um, you know, you know how like when you give something up and you give, you know, you give power to your government, or like maybe the government silences a, an opposite political party that you don't like, and you get all excited. Be very careful about that because the pendulum always swings back in the opposite direction. And if, you know, the I think Jordan Peterson, I love Jordan Peterson. He said this too. You know, he talked about regulating free speech. He said. If we regulate free speech, we have to ask the next question, who's going to regulate the speech? And he said, here's the answer. The person you least likely want to regulate the speech is always going to regulate the speech. And so, you know, the person in power, I, I get the devil, do you know, or the devil that you know argument, too, because you could kind of work around them. That is a good argument, because sometimes the person that you want to replace the person that you hate will probably be the least likely person that you want to replace them. Um, and it always seems to work that way. It's never like, it's never like rainbows and Skittles, right? Like, it's never like, it's never like somebody you want that's good. It's always like the worst possible person. It's, it's like, if you're, if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's like, you know, you get a bad teacher and then you get Dolores Umbridge. It's like, you know, it's always the worst possible person. Yeah, Snape wasn't that, that bad compared. No, and he turned out to be the good guy, which I love him, you know, and, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's always the the person you don't want to lead. That's always so. I, I get that argument too, um, but I think there comes a point where you're just like, can you get any worse than clown man? And I kind of want Gary to stick around a little bit longer because I like posting clown memes. So, <laughs> so Tony has been waiting very patiently for our section on NFTs and real world assets. Um, so, what are your <laughs> thoughts on on NFTs? And then, uh, you know, as an extension, what are your thoughts on real world assets coming to the blockchain? Um, that's a good question. So, I'm gonna start with real world assets because he's not gonna like my answer on NFTs. I don't hate NFTs, by the way. Um, I think that we will have a tokenized future. Like what? What are we doing right now? Like we're having a conversation, right? So, having a conversation is just me taking ideas from my head and putting ideas into your head. So that's what we're doing when we communicate. You're able to know my thoughts by the way that I communicate. So blockchain does the same thing. All it does is move information from one one area to another. So that you know that this the information of data, the information of value, 
the information of what Michael Saylor would call economic energy. And I'm inclined to agree with him on that. And so real world assets on the blockchain allow you to move the, the value in cyberspace from one location to another or one wallet to another while being able to simultaneously protect the asset, right? Like art or uh, maybe uh, IP, like uh, intellectual property or your work or your medical, your medical data, um, you know, things that co traditionally companies would sell that, that you didn't have your permission or you didn't, you didn't give your permission to sell. Now you own it. Um, I would count medical data as a real world asset, even though it's not physical, um, you know, tokenizing gold or whatever. Um, I think that we still haven't perfected that technology. And um, I think that we'll, you know, I, I think that it, it's going to evolve a lot before we kind of get a final idea of what it's going to look like on NFTs. It's kind of the same thing. I'm not an NFT guy. I don't invest in NFTs. I don't really particularly care for the NFT communities. You know, you get on, you see that, you know, the, the profile picture guys that get in your spaces, you know, this all profile picture. It's all monkey pictures, right? Um, you know, and I, I don't have an inherent talent on hunting NFTs. Like I don't, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are good at hunting them and they flip them on OpenSea uh, and they're, they're really good at it. And they see the value in those NFTs. I'm really good at hunting coins and low caps, not so much at NFTs. But here's, here's the huge but. The, the huge but is this. Just because I don't see the value in it doesn't mean that there's not value in NFTs or that they're not valuable uh, or that NFTs are not useful. For example, let's say I, I want to go to – I live in Mississippi. Let's say I want to go to a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss football game, and I buy a season pass. And maybe in the future, we turn that into an NFT. So I have a season pass to the football game, go up to the stadium. They scan my QR code. Hey, you have a season pass. It's purchased in your wallet. Well, let's say I have a family emergency or decide that I want to change jobs or move a different location. Well, that season pass is still good for maybe half the games of the season. Well, then I can transfer the ownership to somebody else and I can sell it third party. Now I can change, you know, I can sell the season pass. Now some, I can transfer it to somebody else's wallet and they can use the season pass for the rest of the season. You know, NFTs have a function, and I don't think that we figured out all the different functions that we can use them for. Um, but who am I? Who am I to say that NFTs don't have value just because I don't really care for them? Right. Uh, and so just because I don't think, you know, I, I don't I don't like them or I don't use them doesn't mean that there isn't a whole community that values them and loves them. Uh, and so do I understand NFTs? Not really. Are NFTs valuable? Absolutely. I love that answer. Um, there's so much wrapped up into that particular uh, way of thinking about NFTs beyond just the existing communities to the technology, mm -hmm. to new applications uh, that could that could come. Why do you think folks in the Bitcoin ecosystem tend to fade uh, DeFi, they fade NFTs? They don't seem to see the value in some of the other kind of Web3 aspects. Pride is a hell of a drug. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I had a conversation. Uh, and I'll, be, I'll be very, very serious about this one. So, you know, I had a conversation in space about this. Um, if you really cared about people like you, like you proclaim, why would you push people away? Right? So if you really cared about sound money and you really cared about economic freedom and you wanted people to do well and you wanted to see the best for people, then why do you why do you curb stomp them the way that you do when they ask questions? I've seen genuine people get into spaces and ask questions about Bitcoin, and these people curb stomp them. And they're just the most obnoxious. Uh, I'll be quite frank, quite terrible people. Um, 
why why can't they see it? Well, it's like wh- why does the nose not know that the breath stinks sometimes? Because mm. because they're they're so used to their way of thinking. And what it is, what it boils down to is it's very simple. I'm right, you're wrong. Therefore, I'm morally superior to you. That's all it boils down to. You know, it's it's like the it's it's like the college intelligentsia that know better. It's like the government bureaucrats or the college intelligentsia that know better for your life than you do because they're smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more well studied than you. Uh, therefore, because I have a higher level of intelligence, I must be more morally superior than you. And I would replace okay. the word intelligence by education because I don't know sure. the correlation between uh, being educated and being intelligent. I know a lot of educated fools. I won't say educated idiot. They're not idiots. They're fools. And there's a difference between a fool and an idiot. An idiot doesn't know any better. A fool is somebody who's incapable of knowing any better uh, or they're self-sabotaging. And so, like, think about let's use Bill Gates as an example because he's a favorite one. And I'll probably get you demonetized just by mentioning his name. Um <laughs> Because because he was good at making money and, and developing software, he thinks that he's good at, at solving everything else of the world's problems. You know, uh, because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're an expert in everything. And just because you obtain wealth doesn't mean that you automatically become an expert uh, in how the world works. I'm, I'm quite I'm quite well studied in how combustion engines work. Uh, and if we were to uh, if we were to eliminate all the combustion engines tomorrow, like a lot of these governments and rich people want to do, people would die. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I worked at PowerGen and Cummins for a little while, and there's a transfer switch that goes off whenever the power goes out. And that generator goes, that giant one or two meg generator goes from off to full load, like zero to 1600 RPMs in six seconds. And that generator kicks on and saves lives. If you were to get rid of combustion engines tomorrow, people in third world countries would die. Uh, and so these people think that they're solving world problems and they're only making things worse just because of their uh, so-called intelligence. Uh, and so it, it very much works the same way with the Bitcoin maxis to bring it around full circle. Um, just because you might be right on something doesn't mean you're right on everything. And just because you're right doesn't mean that you have to curb stomp people. Um, and also, also you, may, you also need to be open to the fact that you don't know everything and that you may be able to learn something from somebody else by listening to them. Um, you know, big, is Bitcoin the end all be all as far as sound money? I'm inclined to agree with them on that. But does blockchain have more uses than just that? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, having that that kind of open mind um, and not getting enamored by your own story, your own narrative, um, it's so tricky in crypto. Like I, I can even feel myself doing it a lot. Like, I, you know, for example, I use the Kajira ecosystem a lot. I see mm-hmm. how they do certain things. And I have to remind myself that um, there are other perfectly valid ways of doing similar things. And just because someone does it different differently doesn't mean necessarily that their way is bad. It's just different. And over time, sure. you know, we'll discover, the market will discover which is the better way. And, and I'm inclined to agree with you. And, and I use like, am I well studied and know a lot about crypto? Sure. But like I, I catch myself, I shoot you DMs all the time or comment on your stuff all the time because like you're you're incredibly intelligent and oh. you know your stuff. And, um, you know, I, if, if I, I, I don't know anything about your background, but I assume you're a coder. Like, you know, um, I assume that, you know, you know how to code because you're always talking about very technical stuff. I send you questions about Kajira and XMR and Cosmos. Like you're, you're, uh, we need to be open to listening to other people that know more than us. Um, otherwise we, st- if you stop learning, you stop growing, you stop growing, you die. Um, 
you know, and who am I, who am I to think that I know everything, you know, like, like seriously, who am, who am I to think that I know everything? Um, who am I to think that a guy that's been in crypto for a month, you know, doesn't know anything and can't teach me something, you know, maybe he's got a background in traditional finance and he could teach me some things and, and it can reinforce some of the opinions that I have. It, you know, there's so many different possibilities. If you close yourself off or don't listen to anything people have to say at all, then you're just a fool. And it's just what it boils down to. Yeah, there's a there's a phrase I love that I learned when I was doing my yoga teacher training, uh, which is called an acharya. It's a Sanskrit word, which basically means someone who's walked a little further down this path than you. It doesn't mean they're a, an expert or a guru. It just means they know a little bit more. So to your point, like someone who's been there maybe a month studying something, he knows a month more of stuff than the new person does. Um, sure. Maybe he's been in traditional finance for 10 years, so he knows a lot on that track than someone else. And I think the more we can see people's contributions through that, I think the uh, the, the more interesting um, we'll, we'll be able to grow and, and contribute. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's a really good point. <laughs> Toto asked you code. questions if I can code. Uh, I can copy from Stack Overflow or ChatGPT. <laughs> She's very technically minded. Understand enough not to destroy everything, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I studied to become a, a programmer, and I decided that was not my path. So that that's not my path currently. I'd I'd rather go make I'd rather go DJ and make money in meme coins than code. <laughs> <laughs> now um, we, we we talked a bit about this idea that the cypherpunk ethos is being replaced in some senses then with a number go up ethos where people are just in it for the greed and for the money. Um, how do you see us turning this around? Do you think it's a big problem? Do you think we need we need to turn it around? And and how do we turn it around if we do need to? Man, that's a really good question. Um, so I think that the and this is kind of where the Bitcoin maxis are good, right? And and there's there's so many other ecosystems that are that are doing great things. Um I'm gonna answer this very uh very plainly the the people who run bitcoin core or the people who develop on bitcoin or these different ecosystems they still hold that ethos they just don't have as loud of a voice and i think there's plenty of them out there um i think that there's plenty of them out there uh and 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 it, it just kind of gives off it's kind of like it's kind of like politics right now like you know i'm not going to talk about any specific political affiliations but we know who the loud voices are in politics right now right well, it's not really that large. It's not the, the communities really aren't that large. They just got a loud voice, like the squeaky wheel, right? Um, and and so the the, the greedy people. I, I'll just put it to you this way: greed is not a good medium to long term strategy in the free market. Okay, uh, you know because it either catches up with you as an individual or market participants catch up to it, right? Uh, and so greed is never a good medium or long term strategy. And so I think it comes in waves. And I think that, you know, greedy investors also, a lot of them turn into wise investors after they get their ass handed to them a couple of times because I was one of those greedy investors. Um, but Bitcoin continues to hash out code just like it has for the last 15 years. Monero does the same thing. Litecoin does the same thing. Dogecoin does the same thing. I mean, and these proof of stake cryptos, they got roadmaps. I mean, I, I give, you know, Ethereum, we give Ethereum a lot of flack because, you know, they call it, it's like an institutional coin. But like Vitalik is an incredibly smart guy. 
You know, I mean, I know he's weird and he looks like a supervillain, but like, you know, he's 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 awesome. You know, he, he's he's constantly innovating. If you've ever seen him do an interview with Lex Friedman, he's great. And and I think he 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 encompasses a lot of the ethos. I think he wants to see the, the space do well too. Um, it's usually like it's usually the the traditional the traditional guys like the Alex the Alex Mashinskis or the SBFs of the world uh, that are, that are more shysty and the ones that are the problem. You know, and, and you see what greed got him right. It didn't get him very far. You know, it, it benefited them in the short term, but you know the uh, the the ten person orgy house at, at at SBF in the Bahamas came to an end very quickly, um, and so you know I don't think that greed favors long term market participants, and so um, you know people say the cypherpunk stuff is going away. I, I I don't. If you look deep enough and you look for the good, I think it's still there, and and, and there's still a lot of really great minds accrued, and there's still great minds moving up that were inspired by these Adam Backs and Hal Finney's of the world. Um, you know, and the, uh, you know, even like the Chris Blanks of the world, like, I don't know if Chris watches your stuff, but, you know, incredibly smart dude. And I love him. Uh, he's, he's a good guy. You know, I give him a hard time for like some of the, you know, complaining about some of the issues, but he's an incredibly smart guy. And I like Samurai Wallet too. Like these guys are like industry movers. Um, and, and they're the guys that keep the ethos alive and they teach the next generation. And so as long as people won't sell money, I think that there is a bright future for it. I tend to lead on lean on optimism on that one i think that's a, a perfect way to bring our discussion to a close uh, <laughs> an optimistic future um evan before we before we close is there anything else that you feel like we we didn't get a chance to talk about that you you wanted um, to mention i think uh i think i think follow-up conversations would be awesome you're, you're fun to talk to oh, um you. and you know you you have an incredibly uh diverse and specific i mean a, a very diverse and and uh, unique outlook in crypto and you're you're a voice that needs to be heard so i hope you get more followers um would definitely love to have you on spaces uh and my last comment is if you have your cryptocurrency on an exchange take it off of an exchange and put it on a hardware wallet do not leave your crypto on an exchange don't be a normie <laughs> i love it i love it uh if you're looking for where you can follow along um at the DeFi protocol is where Evan's at. I've also got a link to his uh, X account down in the description so you can find him. Um, to everyone who uh, was here live um, chatting along, I really appreciate you. Thank you for all the engagement and the, and the questions. Uh, that's what keeps me going is, is knowing that we have a community here that's still seeking more knowledge and looking to learn together. Um, I, 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 I so highly value each and every one of you. Um, uh, you know, the, the algorithm sometimes can be tough. So if you want to drop a like, if you if you share that, that definitely helps us, uh, you, you know, reach more people. I think we need uh, more channels that dive into the issues and have deep conversations and less moon boy channels. Um, so thank <laughs> you, everyone. Uh, uh, Evan, is there anything um, else you want to sign off with? Otherwise, we could say good night. No, you're, you're freaking awesome, Vanessa. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, uh, anybody on here that's not following Vanessa now, you're crazy. So <laughs> thanks, Evan. <laughs>